Dr. Chantrice Sims Holloman. That's correct. How are you today? How are you feeling? I am great. Um, I actually feel pretty good today. A little tired. Yeah. But that's because it's just been a really busy past couple of weeks. Yeah. And I was hoping to get some rest today, but then you sent me a message and I said, never mind. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to rest today. I'm going to go over here. No, All I'm right. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. We wanted to kind of extend our conversation mm -hmm. um, that you had on morning break with right. Tim. We want to give you an opportunity to share your full story. Right. Um, so first, before we get started, tell me who Dr. Holloman is. <laughs> oh, so you're going to give me that first question right yeah. off the bat. Okay. <laughs> um, who is Dr. Holloman? Well, first of all, Dr. Holloman is someone who is still getting used to being called Dr. Holloman. Um, my father is the only person who calls me by my full government name, um, and he does that often. Um, I prefer Chantrice, but I have learned um, over the past year or so, I had a, a wonderful um, black female professor who told me, um, she said, don't you ever be ashamed of using your full title. She said, you earned it. And so um, I'm someone who is who, who likes, who prefers to be in the background. I don't particularly like being in the limelight, but here I am Yeah, um, in the limelight. I'm a wife. I'm a mother uh, to an amazing almost 27-year-old, which is still freaking me out, um, daughter. I have three bonus children. I'm also a yaya, so I have two adorable um, granddaughters. I am a pastor's wife. I am a author. I am a content creator. I am... Um, a really big kid in a 51-year-old body. Um, what, what, what do you mean by that? You know, why is it important for you to highlight that? Because Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, be, no, because I think that, you know, when, when, you, when you become an adult, right? I used to be a teacher. I used to tell my students, don't be in such a rush to become an adult. I said, because you're going to be an adult longer than you're going to be a kid. Enjoy not having all the responsibility. Enjoy having the fun. And one of the things that I learned about my own self-care is that I need to laugh. I need to do things that remind me of eight-year-old me. So I color. I watch cartoons. I'll, I'll even throw on Sesame Street every now and then because Sesame Street is just classic. And there's just things on there that, you know, that make you feel good. So I think it's important for me to remind myself that I may be, um, I may be 51, um, but I really don't ever want to lose my childlike wonder. I don't ever want to lose um, or be in awe of butterflies or, or things that, you know, that we consider to be childlike. Because um, I think that that's helpful for my mental health. It's also helpful for my spiritual and my physical health. So, yeah, big old kid. Yeah, so... You know, obviously, it's American Heart Month. Right. You know, it is definitely something that most of this conversation will mm -hmm. be about. Um, but I want you to take me back to the beginning, mm. March 23rd, 2018. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> it's amazing. I never thought that I would be at this point in this journey where I could tell this story so effortlessly. Right. Uh, there were in, in the early years, I couldn't tell this story and just not you know, completely melt down and, and cry. But um, it's amazing how time does heal. So March 23rd, 2018, I woke up. Um, and I, it wasn't time for me to wake up, but I woke up because I, I had this, I didn't feel well, right? So I felt a little pressure in my chest, 
figured it was gas. Um, like I often tell people, I had a cheesesteak the night before. Shouldn't have had a cheesesteak. You know, I had been, been um, I was a runner and um, I had been eating all of the good things, but I just had a craving. I said, I'm going to get a cheesesteak. I just want to, it wasn't that good. Like in hindsight, it, it wasn't like the best thing ever, but I woke up that morning and I was feeling the pressure in my chest and I said, okay, well, Clearly, this is gas. So I was going downstairs to the kitchen to get a Red Rock ginger ale. Now, I'm originally from Massachusetts. I didn't know what a Red Rock ginger ale was until I moved to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Now I know that Red Rock ginger ale is medicine. <laughs> and so if you anything is wrong with your stomach, you go and you drink a Red Rock. And so I went to the, to the stairs, didn't quite make it to the stairs because I got immediately sick, immediately nauseous, immediately ill. I ran to the bathroom. I threw up violently, um, crawled back in the bed and just kind of laid there for a little while. And I said, okay, let me just catch, catch my breath. Let me just rest for a minute. Because in my head, I'm thinking I have to go to work. I have things I have to do. I have, I was a director of professional development for a set of charter schools. I had professional development to do. I had things I had to do. And I laid there and my husband kind of looked at me and he's like, you feeling okay? I was like, you know, a little bit of chest pain, but I'm sure it's gas. No big deal. Five minutes later, he came back and looked at me again and he looked and he said, and I don't know what made him ask this, but he said, do I need to call an ambulance? And I'm thinking to myself, that's a really odd question to ask for. I'm just laying here. And in my head, I'm like, no, but yes is what came out of my mouth. And I'm thankful because, you know, the, the, I am woman, hear me roar in me, uh, was going to work like I had always done even when I didn't feel well, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as women who work and who are mothers and wives, you know, we just, we put the world on our shoulders and we, we keep it pushing. Yeah. And so he said, do I need to call an ambulance? And I said, yes. So he, he called the ambulance. He helped me get downstairs. He got me on the sofa. I was still feeling, I didn't feel nauseous anymore, but I was still feeling the pressure in my chest. Paramedics Mm -hmm. came, ma'am, what's going on? I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm having some, some chest pain. I'm sure it's nothing. Uh, they took my blood pressure and the paramedics immediately stopped talking to me and immediately started talking to my husband. They said, where do you want us to take her? And I'm like, hello, I'm, mm. I'm still here. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, let's, let's go to Grady, um, which is, you know, the number one trauma hospital in, in Georgia. And the paramedics said, if we take her there, she won't make it. Mm. And I remember thinking, what do you mean I won't make it? And she said, well, ma'am, you're having a heart attack. And I was like, oh. Well, then we should probably go someplace closer so I don't die. Ha ha ha. So, and, and if you have to know me to understand my sense of humor, yeah. like I didn't, I, in my head, I'm thinking people have heart attacks all the time. Yeah. They survive. It's, this is no big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal. Right. Was any part of you scared? No, not, not even a little bit. I just figured this was, you know, okay, well, you know, we're going to go to the hospital. They're going to do something. It's going to be fine. Um, got into the ambulance. I remember, uh, seeing my husband looking very sort of disheveled and confused. He was getting in his car. I remember being in the ambulance. I remember hearing um, the sirens. And I remember feeling the ambulance was moving really, really fast. And I was just like, okay, this is interesting. Because when I say that I've, the only time before this moment that I had ever been in the hospital was when, when I gave birth to my daughter. I'd never been you know, anything really sick. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the ambulance. I'm like, okay, all right. We get to the hospital. The last thing I remember is them rushing me out of the ambulance, bringing me to the ER, hearing the nurse say her husband is standing outside Mm -hmm. and me looking out the ER door before it closed and seeing my husband standing outside. And that's the last thing that I remember. 
mm-hmm. until I regained consciousness seven days later. So do you have any memory of your feeling in that moment of seeing your husband outside? Did you realize what was going on? No, I, I really didn't. I think that that's just such a good question because I really, I don't think I was thinking anything. I was just like, okay, whatever this is, I'm at the hospital. They're going to fix it. And I'm going to go to work on Monday and I'm, or I've, I've got to run um, a, a training run um, tomorrow. Like it, it, it wasn't, it didn't, it, it just never registered to me mm-hmm. how serious this was. Cause again, cause again, I don't, I mean, I get sick, but I don't get sick, sick. Mm-hmm. Like I don't no no sickness that was, you know, required me to go to the hospital or, you know, take anything more than, you know, a round of medication. I, di- I didn't know. And it literally was not until I regained consciousness that sort of the gravity of what I experienced set in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that I had been in a coma for seven days when, you know, my husband asked me, he said, do you know what happened? And I was like, no. Mm-hmm. He said, we well, had a heart attack. And I said, and I, <laughs> and my first response was, oh, okay. So when do I get to go home? Mm. Because I'm thinking, People have heart attacks all the time. Okay. And I, I'm thinking it's just been maybe a, a day, maybe. Yeah. Like I went to sleep. I woke up and here I am. And he's like, no, it's, you're going to be here a little while longer. And I said, well, how long? I said, cause I've got a, a training run um, on Monday. And he said, do you know what day it is? Mm. And I'm like, Saturday? He's like, no, it's, it's, it's been a week. Oh, um, Huh. And then I realized, um, I tried to, you know, get, I was trying to roll over in the bed and I said, well, are you sure I had a heart attack? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I said, well, I, I can't move my legs. So you sure it wasn't a stroke? He's like, no, it was a heart attack. I said, well, why can't I move my legs? He's like, I don't know. We called the nurse in the nurse said, oh, you know, it's just, it's just, um, your muscles may have atrophied because you've, you've, you know, you've been in the coma for seven days, but even in my conscious mind, I'm thinking like my, my, my logic started kicking in. I was like, seven days isn't long enough for my legs to atrophy. So mm-hmm. what, what are you talking about? Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't really formulate my questions and really get my brain and my mouth to work together. They had me on some, um, some really heavy duty medicine. That's when I found out that when people have heart attacks, they are given fentanyl. I did not know that fentanyl is one of the drugs that they gave me while I was in the hospital to help regulate whatever they had to regulate to help try to try to bring me back. So because as a result of the drugs they had me on, I was conscious, but I wasn't conscious, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. So because of the amount of drugs, I was having these really bizarre um, hallucinations and dreams when I would fall asleep that just, you know, I don't ever want to be that deep in my psyche ever again. Those were scarier than realizing that I had a, that I had a heart attack. So, yeah. So in that moment when you started to fully understand Mm -hmm. what had happened over the past week, Mm -hmm. what was ahead for you, what could be ahead for you, what were you feeling? So I often tell people that when we talk about this, I think it's seven stages of grief, whatever the stages of grief are, that that's not just for loss of life. That's for any loss. So I finally leave ICU. I'm in the cardiac unit. I'm in, um, I'm in the hospital bed. And 
I think what really that that moment of oh my god what's you know what has happened and what what is my life going to be is when in the first maybe three or four days that I was in um, the hospital room people who I did not know just started coming into the room and these weren't these weren't like the the nurses and the doctors at the hospital just people and some of them were coming in and just crying some of them were coming in and were just like overjoyed and I was just look in my bed still coming down off this medicine and it's like I remember I asked this guy I said I'm sorry who are you Mm -hmm. and he said oh well I'm doctor whatever his name was he's like I'm the doctor that saw you when they brought you to the first hospital so the first hospital that they brought me to from my house they moved me to a different hospital because the, the hospital where I actually stayed for two months Um, had a very, like, world-renowned, award-winning cardiac unit. The hospital where I was did not. So they moved me. And he said, well, I'm the the doctor that saw you when you arrived at this hospital. And I said, okay. He said, and when we heard that you were still here, I immediately left work to come and see for myself. He said, you look amazing. And I'm thinking, no, no. I don't that I don't. And he said, no, I saw you when you were dying. He said, the fact that you are sitting up in the bed alive, he said, there's nothing short of a miracle. The paramedics who brought me to the first hospital came to see me. Like apparently word had gotten that people had been, and I don't know how, and I always laugh. I was like, I, so I went viral. Like my heart attack went like, like amongst the medical community, but literally, um, Apparently, I came in, I was so sick that all of the nurses, the paramedics, the doctors, everybody um, got word that I lived and they all wanted to see for themselves. Mm. Um, I had a Widowmaker heart attack. So um, what that means is that the the main artery in my heart was completely blocked. Um, no blood flow. And so my heart essentially was shutting down and then my organs were shutting down and um my heart stopped twice. Uh, my husband told me from in front of him, like they were transporting me from one hospital. Like I was, they were literally like rolling me down the hallway and they had to stop mm-hmm. and revive me and do it again and stop. And then like seven more times before I got to the new hospital. So uh, my heart stopped nine times and they couldn't figure out how to get my heart back beating regularly yeah um they told my husband you need to call her parents she's not going to make it through the weekend um get her affairs in order um she's not going to be here by 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 monday um the prognosis is is very bad she's got about a 40 percent chance and three other men interestingly enough came in the same night as i did with the exact same heart attack and i'm the only one that survived so it was it was a really um it was a really serious, my, my husband thought that he was going to lose his wife. My daughter, who was an only child, thought that she was going to lose um, her mother. My parents, I'm their only child. My parents thought they were going to lose their only child. Um, it was that serious. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that has stuck with me when you were talking about when you were coming to and you were realizing what was happening was that you said three other people came in mm-hmm. and they they're no longer alive right, right. and you are with yeah. the same 
kind of heart attack. Same kind of heart attack, and they were men. Um, and my cardiologist uh, sat in my room one day once I was, you know, fairly coherent and, and conscious. And when he told me that, and he said the reason why, well, he said a couple of things. He said, well, one of the reasons why you're here and um, they're not, he said, is your health. You know, people think you have a heart attack, but you had to have some kind of, like, you weren't eating well. It's high blood pressure. It's cholesterol. Um, and my doctor told me, he said, the reason why you're still here is because you were so healthy. The only thing that was wrong with your heart was that one blocked artery. And he said it wasn't because you had high cholesterol. It wasn't because you had high blood pressure. None of those, it wasn't because you had diabetes. None of those things were a factor. He said, and once we cleared the blockage in your artery, he's like, your heart is perfect now. Um, I live with lupus. And one of the things that I did not know was that when you have an autoimmune disease like lupus, you are, I think, three to four times more likely to end up with heart disease. So where I failed in my health was that I wasn't taking care and managing the lupus the way that I needed to. Because again, wife, mother, doing all the things, putting everybody you know ahead of me, going to the doctor, getting medicine, getting it, you know, getting things under control and then just going right back to doing what I was doing. Years of doing that caused damage to my heart. But it wasn't because I was eating. I was a runner. I was training for the Peachtree Road Race. I used to run five miles every morning at 5 a.m. I was drinking. Yeah, my, my husband says the same thing. He's like, something's <laughs> very wrong with you. Um, I was, you know, drinking 75 ounces to 85 ounces of water a day. I was eating the kale. I was, I was, I was doing all of the things that I knew to do to stay healthy. But because I wasn't managing the lupus the way that I needed to be managing it. That's what caused, well, that's what they think. They, they're still up in the air, but they believe that that's what caused the damage to my heart. And then that just put everything into motion. Yeah. I mean, how does, how does that make you feel? You know, you're doing everything that they tell you to do, eat healthy, yeah. move your body. Yeah. I was doing all the things. Um, and, and what I, I had to have what my grandmother would call a, a come to Jesus moment mm -hmm. with myself that while I was doing all of the, the physical things, I wasn't doing, no pun intended, I wasn't doing the heart work. Mm. I wasn't doing the self-care work. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't saying no. I was trying to do all, all of the things. And so any, anybody, you know, I was everybody's go-to person. I was an educator at the time. Um, I really wanted to move up in the education system. And so if you needed anything, I, I was your woman. You need me to do a workshop for parents on Saturday. Great. You need me to grade all of these papers because you, I got it. You need me to put this on. I'm, I was trying. And then I'm, I'm, I'm married to a pastor. So I was, I was, doing church stuff and yeah. I'm a mom and, yeah. and I'm trying to do mom stuff and I'm a friend and I'm doing friend stuff. And I was doing all of those things. And when my body would start, my primary care physician used to crack a joke and say, the only time you come see me is when your body's falling apart. Mm. And I would just be like, ha 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 ha. Now give me what I need so I can, and, and, but he was right. Yeah. The only time I would cancel appointments because I had, I had things, I, I had things I had to do, mm -hmm. but I figured, Hey, but I'm, I'm running, mm -hmm. I'm getting my cardio in, I'm drinking my water, I'm eating my kale, so I'm good. Not thinking that I was doing 
almost irreparable damage to my heart because my symptoms with my lupus were very, they were manageable. Mm -hmm. I would have a flare every now and again. My joints may lock up a little bit. I may have a rash on my arm. I never got a rash on my, like there were all of these things when people, when you think of lupus that I never experienced. So I just kept doing what I was doing until Mm -hmm. I couldn't Mm -hmm. um, anymore. But yeah, my cardiologist told me, he said, the, the, the men who, who passed away, he said, you know, they had all kinds of health issues that you didn't have. He said, so even though it was really scary for a while, it was really scary. We thought we were going to lose you. He said, your physical fitness um, is one of the reasons why you're still here. He said, the other reason is clearly God has something for you to do. Mm. He said, because... Um, he said, I am a, a man of medicine. He's all, I'm also a man of faith. He said, if I was not already a man of faith, he said, you would be my first miracle. He said, because medically speaking, there is absolutely no reason for you to still be here. He said, everything that could have possibly gone wrong with your heart attack went wrong. I was bleeding out. They still, they, they had no clue why I was bleeding out, where I was bleeding out from. Um, they were giving me blood transfusions and as fast as they were giving it to me, it was like on the floor. Like it was, it was bad. My mother said that, um, all she could think of was that she was going to watch her only child bleed out and die before her. They couldn't figure out my cardiologist to this day. I don't know what he said or what he told the person to do. He's like, do this, add this, do something. And it stopped. Um, but he, he was very clear. He said, you know, you're medically speaking, you're not supposed to be here. He said, I can only attribute the fact that you were here uh, to the fact that, that God wasn't ready for you to go yet. He said, prayer is, 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 is obviously what did it. He said, because we, we had done everything. And we literally, and, it, if, and it's interesting because if you look in my medical records, he wrote in my medical records, we've done all that we can do. God, it's up to you. It's in my medical records. He, 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 he recorded that. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, he said, he said, you're still here. And there's a reason why you're he's still here. He said, and so now your purpose is to figure out what that reason is. He said, for the rest of your life, your job is going to do whatever it is that God has purposed you to do because you're still here. So figure out what that is. And here we are. <laughs> I mean, so have you figured it out do you know what direction you're going like what that's such a boy you're just getting all the questions today (laughs) um and the reason why that's so interesting is because I I literally had this moment with my husband a couple of days ago where I just was sitting on the sofa I just started crying and he's like you know what's wrong and I said I I don't I don't know what it is that I'm supposed I don't I don't think I know what it is that I'm supposed to be doing and he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I was in my quiet time and I heard God very clearly say, focus on the ministry, focus on ministry. And I was like, what does that mean? I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. And um, I want to say that I've reached the point now where just this morning of just really embracing the fact that one of the things that I, I, I'm very good at as I'm a teacher um, I tell people often that I'm a teacher by profession and by vocation. So teaching is what I do professionally, but I'm also called to teach. And so I think that my purpose for being here is to teach. 
is to teach people about my story so that, um, especially women, so that they know the symptoms, so that women will start taking better care of themselves. And I'm going to say this, especially black women. Mm -hmm. We are notorious for carrying the world on our shoulders and feeling like we have to. So I think part of my reason for being here is so that I can share my story, share my testimony, not just of, of what I didn't do, but what God did do um, for me mm-hmm. in order for me to be at this point. So um, I get a lot of speaking engagements where people talk about, you know, want me to talk about not just my story, but what, it, what is it that I did? Because I started, I, I was f- 100% back on social media a, almost a year to the day that I had my heart attack mm-hmm. and becoming an amputee. I gave myself my first photo shoot almost a year to the date that I had my heart attack. And people who did not know me would see me on social media and just assume that I had been an amputee or I had been partially paralyzed, I had been sick, like, my whole life. Mm-hmm. And this was 2019, and I'll never forget a woman said, "You so, so what is it like to live with this for so long? And I was like, this just oh, happened yeah. last year. <laughs> and literally, that deer in headlights, like, she, she stopped yeah. blinking, and she said, what, what, do you, what, what do you mean? It was only a year ago. I said, oh, yeah, this has happened last year. She's like, how, how are you here doing all of these things? Right. And um, I was like, well, you know, that's a really good question. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. And in, in my quiet time, because I'm getting my moment of faith, and I said, okay, God, uh, what do I tell people? Like, why, what, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And uh, because I'm a teacher, what ended up happening was I started my, my students every so often would start reminding me of lessons that I had taught them. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that during the year that I was in recovery, all the lessons that I had taught him, I had taught them were the lessons that I was living. Mm-hmm. Like I was living out the things that I had been, you know, telling them in class, we're talking about Shakespeare or something. And I would throw something out. And so um, I learned about resilience. I learned about what that, means for me I I I I recaptured my faith mm-hmm. um I I tell this story just because I want to give honor to the, the the person who gave it to me and my my mama dot mama dot is uh, Dr. Dorothy Arnold she actually hired me when I started teaching in 2005 and she just came in my life and she just never left and she was the only person that I would allow to come see me. Like my mother was there and I, I want to give a shout out to my mom because yeah. my mom, my dad, my husband, my daughter were just amazing during this time. My mother actually retired the, in December before I had my heart attack. And then she spent the first 14 months of her retirement taking care of me. Mm. Um, and so she often tells me, she's like, you owe me 14 months of <laughs> of my <laughs> retirement time. But Mama Dot was a person who would come and she would sit with me and she would pray with me. And, and she said, I want you to know that I told God that I was mad at him too, mm. because how could you let this happen to my, to my baby? And she said, God gave me this scripture to give to you. And I said, well, after you give me the scripture, get out my house because God and I were not on speaking terms. This was not everything that I had believed about God clearly was a lie because how could this happen to me? But she gave me uh, Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not harm you, to give you a future with hope. And I tell people that that scripture saved my life because she gave it to me. And I said, okay, God, if this is true, if this scripture is real, 
you're going to have to show me because I don't believe you. Uh, my survivor, my heart attack anniversary is March 23rd of this year. It'll have been six years. And if you had told me in 2018 that on February 19th, 2024, I would be doing a podcast interview <laughs> talking about this story, I would have probably called you a liar. So I think that part of my purpose is to share this story and not just because for people who um, have had heart attacks, but for anybody who's experienced anything difficult, anything life-changing, um, I'm a living witness that there is life after death. There's life after loss, whatever that loss is. You lost your job, you lost your child, you lost your, your hope, you lost your marriage, you lost whatever it is that you lost. There's life after that if you're willing uh, to try and believe. Mm. So I think that's what my, my purpose is, is to share that with people. That's amazing. Um, obviously, faith plays a huge role in keeping you moving, mm -hmm. keeping you motivated. Yeah. Are there other things? I'm sorry, I just have to keep my head on a swivel <laughs> with these cameras. Um, obviously, faith is huge, right. huge, huge for you. Are there other parts of your life that keep you going? Absolutely. Um, my, uh, my husband, of course, is one. Um, he's the, the, um, my running buddy. So, and he's about as goofy as I am, although people see him and he's, think he's very serious because he's a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, but he's a sneakerhead and he's a hip-hop head. So uh, we spend a lot of time talking about sneakers and good hip-hop music i'm not even going to get into that oh, right that now that could be a whole podcast that's a whole podcast <laughs> right there um because i grew up in the in the you know i was i grew up in the dawn of, mm -hmm. of hip-hop but that's another thing we'll, we'll um, schedule that okay we'll, we'll talk about that later um, um my daughter my, my daughter will be 27 um this year and she really was my motivation mm -hmm. um when i wanted to quit you know everything that i ever had told her she threw back at me everything like to the point where I was just like I don't even like you she's like that's fine but all these lessons that you taught me um I'm now giving back to you and so now I tell her all the time I was like you were not the boss of me she's like yes I am I don't know why you don't know that so uh, my daughter my uh, my husband uh, my two granddaughters who actually live in Atlanta although they're from Savannah so I see them and they are just every bit of all of the energy that you could possibly want or need to have um, and I just love them. Um, my sorority sisters, um, I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta and my line sisters, whoo, they held me up and, and I'm an only child. So that was all very new to me to just sort of have these people just in, in, um, embrace me. So um, I do that. I'm also a writer. So I write, um, I create content on social media just because it's fun something to do uh, but sometimes that that is sometimes the way that I, I decompress um, I share my story I never thought that I would be the person who would be living their whole life in public but what I realize is that um, part of the reason that that I continue going on is because there are people who follow me and look to me and think I'm funny. God bless them. Um, or they appreciate my, you know, appreciate my humor. So doing things like that, I've discovered that con content creation actually brings me joy. It, 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 it helps me to relax. 
um, to kind of, you know, create short form, you know, just throw this video on YouTube right quick. Let me, you know, come on here and talk about, talk about this. Um, I tell people that I speak in memes. Memes are funny to me. So I'm always creating a meme about something to make, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little quirky. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just like I said, I'm a big kid. So I watch cartoons. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also a, a huge, um, Marvel fan. Like I was a Marvel fan, I used to collect the comic books. So mm-hmm. this is before the MCU. Um, but then the MCU came out. And, you know, I've watched every single Marvel movie at least three times. Incorrect chronological order. Not the order that they came out, but the chronological order in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got like a couple of podcasts. Yeah, because that's schedule. important. <laughs> that's important. Um, so I do things like that. I read. I yeah. nap. Napping is so underrated i love that that's on the list nap just in yeah. the middle of the day and because i work from home you know i'll take a lunch i'll take my hour i grab my blanket and go down and, and sleep mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing napping napping y'all need to get into this napping thing what's napping. the key to a really good nap like what's the key for me the key to a really good nap is making sure that it's not too long mm-hmm. because there's a fine line between napping and sleeping yeah and then if, if I if I nap too long, then I can't sleep at night. Mm. So for me, somewhere between like 30, 45 minutes, get my favorite blanket. Gotcha. Get on the sofa. It's even better if it's, you know, I've got the fan going and mm-hmm. the sun's coming in. It's the timing. It's the timing. <laughs> and just, you know, and I just kind of I maybe put on my rain sounds. Mm-hmm. And I just turn everything off. And it's, it's, and then I can get back up and do what I need to do. It's very, it's refreshing. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of a nap. Get you a good, good nap. Yes. You said turn everything off. Have you become more protective of boundaries now? Oh my God. Yes. Um, No, it's a complete sentence. Yeah. I tell people that all the time. I said, and it doesn't require an explanation Mm -hmm. at all. Can you do this? No. Thank you. Now. 2017 Chantries? Sure. What do you need? I got it. No, not anymore. Um, One of the things that I realized is that I was putting any and everything and everybody before me. Yeah. Um, And people knew that they could come to me last minute, whenever, and that I was going to say yes. Now, I am very particular Mm -hmm. about what I say yes to there has to be a really good reason or I have to have a really good feeling when you asked me to do this mm-hmm. it wasn't even I was like oh absolutely and and I thought I was like okay wait <laughs> no 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 I want to do this this is this is good this is good uh because we met you know in in studio and I was yeah. like I really and I even told my husband I'm like I really like her I would love to do her podcast um so yeah so my, my boundaries are are absolutely um more secure than they were. Um, and also learning not to feel guilty about saying no. Because mm. I think a lot of times we say, well, you know, then I, I, then I feel bad. Because what if they, they'll be fine. The world's not going to end if, if, if I, can't, I can't do this. And so I've learned to give myself grace. Yeah. It's okay for you to say no, Chantrice. You don't, you don't have to do it. And that even goes with, um, um, for, for my, my husband, like I said, my husband is a pastor of St. Philip AME Church here in Savannah on MLK Boulevard. <laughs> and there are times when, you know, he'll go places and the expectation is that as his wife, that I'm going to be there. 
And he'll just say, hey, I got to go do this. I was like, okay, I'll see you. Let me, let me know how it goes. He's like, so you're not coming? No. And and now he's become a protector of my boundary. People say, well, your wife didn't come. He's like, yeah, no. Today's her, her rest day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, she'll, I'm sure she'll, you know, she'll, she'll reach out to you or she'll be there. So now he's helping me to kind of, you know, keep the boundaries and tell people, you know, she's, she's not doing yeah all of the things. And I think that's, that's so important, especially for me, someone who is a giver by nature. Yeah. And there's this meme that's going around and say, make sure that you have boundaries as a giver because takers don't have any mm. people who are, are willing to, to push and push until they get what they want because they know you're going to say yes. Mm-hmm. I've had quite a few people come up, uh, come up on a brick wall. They're like, well, before, yeah, that was old me. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not doing it anymore. Yeah. Or I'll let you know when I'm in a space. Right. When I can do that. But yeah, boundaries are, are super important to me now. Absolutely. So part of sharing your testimony goes even further this year because you are the 2020, a part of the 2024 Go Red for Women class of survivors with the American Heart Association. So tell me a little bit about what that means. That, okay. So first of all, let me just say that I had no idea that this was even a thing. Yeah. Um, It was a friend of mine. It, the um, application or the information came across our email one day she texted me. She said, Hey, I really think you need to do this. And I was just like, I mean, okay. When's mm-hmm. the deadline? She's like, Oh, it's today. <laughs> okay. And I said, okay. So I, I created this little video. I fill out the application and I said, okay, really didn't think anything of it. Um, fast forward to about three weeks later, they said, Hey, we want to interview you. Had an interview went well, didn't think anything else of it. A couple of weeks later, got a phone call and they were just like, Hey, we we have a couple of more questions. Can we talk to you really briefly? I was like, sure. And they said, you know, if our first question is, you know, how does it feel to know that you've been chosen to be part of the 2024 survivor class of women? I was like, wait, what? I did this at the last minute. Um, So I wasn't expecting this to be anything that I was doing, but boy, has it been an amazing experience even you know we're only what three weeks into into February yeah but it has been an amazing experience not just because of all of the fun stuff like going to the red dress gala and and meeting Yvonne Orgy which was amazing (laughs) um and doing all of these things but just I am part of a group of women so there are 11 other women who are heart attack and or stroke survivors Mm. and to be in this group to know that you're not the only one and to hear their survivor stories and to just know that, wow, um, we're all here, you know, for a reason to raise awareness. And so for somebody who really prefers to be in the background, for somebody who used to be terrified to speak in public, to be in this space now where my story can help save lives is just, mind-boggling um to me so yeah it's been a a a wonderful experience I have I have 11 new sisters so my my your village is my village my sibling (laughs) group um has has grown um but just to be able to be on platforms that I never thought I was on the today show I grew up watching the today show so to be on set and to be like but I'm here and to be on national television Mm -hmm sharing my story so someone some woman could hear and be like you know what let me make my doctor's appointment and literally the day that I flew back from New York a woman was in the airport 
I was on the phone talking to my mother and she walked by and she said, I saw you this morning on mm. the Today Show. And I got off the phone. I said, you did? She's like, I did. And I saw you and I immediately called my cardiologist to make my appointment. She said, I kept putting it off and putting it off, but I saw your story. And I said, let me make this phone call right now. And she did. And so, um, yeah, so just to think that my story, my my survivor story is helping somebody else be there for their family, for their loved ones. It's just, um, it's amazing, but it's also humbling mm-hmm. um, that God would use my story to save someone else's life. Yeah. That's, that's just huge to me. Yeah. At the start of this, I asked you, who is Dr. Mm-hmm. Holloman? So who do you want, what do you want people to know about Dr. Holloman? I want people to know that I'm just a regular woman. I'm just a regular person, just like you. There's nothing, people will say that there are extraordinary things about me, but I just like, no, I I don't think that I'm extraordinary. I think I was presented with an extraordinary circumstance. I think I've been presented with an extraordinary opportunity, but I'm just a regular wife, mother, sister, friend. Um, And I say that because I want people to know that my situation is not unique. If it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. Um, And you have to, I want you to do better than what I did. I want you to take better care of yourself. I want you to be more conscious. I want you to put yourself first. Um, It's okay to love on and take care of all of the other people in your life. But I think I want people to know that Dr. Chantrice Sims Holloman is someone who has learned to take care of herself first. And I I share this quote. Um, One of my really good friends, uh, mother passed away a couple of years ago. And one of the most beautiful things that I've ever heard anybody say about somebody is this. Her name was Mama Fern. And they said that Mama Fern learned to love herself better so that she could love others more. And that is now how I live my life. Taking care of myself better allows me to do the things that I want to do and be there for the people that I love and, and love others be- and love others more. So um, Dr. Holloman, Dr. Chantrice, Holly Pop, which is what my students call me, is somebody who has learned to love herself better so that she can love other people more. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me.